Hey guys, if you really like this episode, please support our podcast by going to talkmurder.com slash join and becoming a Talko Supremo. All right, Martin Bryant, part two, the Port Arthur Massacre. And to get started, here's a quote from the Sydney Morning Herald. Nine years before the Port Arthur Massacre, nine years before the then NSW premier, Mr. Barry Unsworth, stormed out of a special gun summit angrily, declaring, quote, It will take a massacre in Tasmania before we get gun law reform in Australia. All right, a little cover there from Davey 504 to get us started. And um, we're just going to pick up right back up where we left off. So I'm going to jump into it in three, two blocks in this BMW filled with four people, murders them all, drags two of them out into the road. Okay. Then he decides to steal the BMW. So he, what he does is opens his trunk. He transfers the AR-15, a container of gas, and all the other ammo into the new BMW he's got. Progressing to the entrance toll booth, the officers found a yellow Volvo sedan driven by the gunman. Okay, so what you're hearing right now is an excerpt from the police training video that the Tasmanian government desperately tried to take off the internet after it was leaked. I'm going to have this video on my website, talkmer.com, until I get a cease and desist and have to take it down. Beyond lay four bodies strewn across the road. Eyewitness accounts filled in the gaps, telling of the deaths of the four people as they were dragged from their BMW sedan and shot. At this point in time, he has killed 31 people and he has injured 19. So he's got four more people he's going to kill. So let me talk about this eccentric relationship that he had, because I think this kind of plays onto his psychology a bit, and this is very important to the story. Helen Harvey was an eccentric heiress of a multi-million dollar family that owned the Tattersalls. It's like Powerball over here. It's the same thing. I looked it up. So think about Powerball lottery over here in America. I've won! I've won! Who said dreams don't come true? Tats Lotto, you'll never know if you don't have a go. Anyway, yeah. the tatter sales is the lottery thing. Maybe Lauren can tell us more about it. But it's basically a Powerball. So this girl, Helen Harvey, which was over 50 or about 50 years old at the time when she met Martin Bryant as a 12-year-old, okay, they formed this weird relationship. Mm-hmm. Now, she is basically a millionaire. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's basically getting uh, royalties from this lottery Firm that her family owns. At 12 years old, they meet. Uh, and they're the same age? No, 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 no. She is almost 50 years old. Wait. Yes, Helen Harvey. This is a very it's a very weird story. I'm gonna try to try to stay with me. Helen Harvey was almost 50 years old when she met the 12-year-old Martin Bryant. Martin Bryant 
was known around the neighborhood in Tasmania because he would bring dead rabbits and try to sell them to people after he shot them. Everyone knew he was a very weird kid. Okay. Anyway, they strike up a conversation. She says she needs help taking care of her dying mother and needs help around the house, maybe clean, basically a pole boy. That's what I was thinking of. She was like, here's yeah, this young 12. strapping guy. He's 12 at the time. And they form kind of this weird relationship. He goes over, cleans the house, takes care of the dying mother, takes care of her, takes care of his of her 40 cats that she has in the garage and 14 dogs that are running around the house. Oh, my God. Was From, it a sexual relationship or do we not know? He claims, I found, I found where he actually claimed it was not a sexual relationship, but a very strange relationship. Paul Mullen, who you heard earlier that I called him Paul Muffin, who had interviewed him, said that, quote, it was not a sexual relationship. It was only a friend. I mean, they met when he was at age 12. He was working for her. And then it kind of spawned onto this friendship thing. Uh, Were you a bit horrified by this manager? So, yeah, sure. She needed some help. So they seemed to click. Okay, this is Carlene Bryant. This is the mother of Martin Bryant, the shooter. Now, I pulled this interview from 60 Minutes Australia, and you can find the entire interview there on YouTube. Straight away, and they were almost inseparable. So this was a friendship, a very good friendship, but not not a sexual relationship. No, definitely not. It was like mother and son because Helen Helen was 52 at the time, and she'd never ever married. Even Martin's mother described it as a bizarre relationship. Neighbors remember that Bryant was always obedient to Helen Harvey. They were living in this farm and coping, and a former antique shop owner said, quote, he was quiet. Helen did a lot of talking. She was fairly short, tubby, and kind of strong. She was like a sergeant major. I reckon he needed that kind of direction in life. So, after he grows up a little bit, they form this weird relationship when her mother dies. They're living together. So, he's basically living in a multi-million dollar house. And he is mentally retarded in, in most, by most spectrums. Does that make sense? He has Very some learning weird. disabilities. Very least. strong because, learning disabilities. Yeah. And he's now living in a multi-million dollar lifestyle. It's very weird, but it's important. The couple, if you want to call them that, Helen Harvey and Martin Bryant, they get all these complaints from the neighbors and the townsfolk where they're living about the mess of their mansion. They had shit everywhere. You know, like those hoarder shows where they get all these complaints and then they condemn yep. the house. Just like that. She had 40 cats living in the garage. Awful. 40. In she, the garage? In the garage. 14 dogs running in the, and out of the house, oh which is fine gosh. to me. I could definitely use 14 dogs. That'd be fucking awesome. Yeah, not in this house. This house would be too small for 14 yeah. dogs. Yeah. After they get all these complaints, they pick up everything, pack up everything, move to this rural area of copping one paper describes it as a rural hamlet halfway between hobart which i showed you and port arthur as one australian paper described it greenfields lazy jersey cows undulating hills picture postcard perfect now he was living there with her between 1991 and 1993 the shooting happened in 1996 mm-hmm. helen harvey was basically Stout, sensibly dressed woman who spent a lot of money. 
That is basically her. She is living with this kid who is very weird and his only... You remember how I said his parents used to chain him to trees? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. It's not because they're bad people. It's because if they didn't do that, he would... Well, I mean, you saw what he did, well, right? I mean, he... I mean... He has problems. Probably not the best parenting. Well, not yeah. the best parenting. But what I'm trying to say is the parents grounded him. Not not like in the you're grounded sense. But they, they kept him closer to earth. When he moved to copping. By chaining him to a tree? When they moved to copping, the distance increased and he became way more odd, strange, and eccentric because he's further away from his grounding, if you will, of his parents. And they could barely keep him under control. But at least they were doing something. So now he moves away from him, and he's completely out of control. In fact, there's many reports out there from the two years he was living at this farm that he would go down to the local apple orchard. You'd stop, you know, you see those things like Around here, you stop and get peaches on the side of the road or whatever. Mm-hmm. He would sit up on this big ass hill and shoot tourists with a damn airsoft rifle. What a you loon! Know? I mean, exactly. And the woman is also bad a shit, crazy. fucking crazy. Yeah. You don't have forty cats and not be fucking crazy. She's bat shit crazy. Helen Harvey's mental state was deteriorating. One newspaper I was reading said Bryant seemed to have been good for Helen, forcing her out of the house most days on numerous shopping trips where the pair would blow Helen's inheritance Hmm. on needless expenses. She bought 50 different cars over the years. (laughs) Fucking shit. Wow. And would treat herself and Bryant to lavish afternoon lunches most days. She's amazing. a million. Exactly. So you would, have this. We're going to have lavish afternoon lunches when we're. So rich. you have this kid. Now you have this kid, 12 years old, when they meet. Now he's becoming late teens. Now he's getting out of his teenage years. They move in together. He's got a mind of a child. He's literally shooting people with an airsoft rifle. He's living in a millionaire's lifestyle. They're going out to lavish lunches. They're buying food. 50 cars. Okay, you can see where this is going. Um, At one point, now this is crazy. In 1991, Helen puts Martin in her will as Mm -hmm. the primary receiver. Wow. Stating, quote, my friend Martin Bryant for his own absolute use and benefit. End quote. That ain't good. Here, you can read this, Nicole. This is uh, from the Australian uh, news.com. Her love of cars would prove a major stumbling block in their relationship with Bryant, despite expressing a fear of getting his license, often grabbing the steering wheel from her to take over her mid trip. This impulsive behavior had resulted in two prior crashes. And with his diminished intelligence, it was unclear whether or not he knew the weight of what he was doing. On October 20th, 1992, a turning point came. They were driving home from a lava shopping trip. They, I didn't want to put this in there, but they had three dogs in the back. They swerved into another car. Harvey died instantly. So did two of the dogs. <laughs> anyway, mm. Martin ended up very badly injured, very badly injured. He has spent months in the hospital and now he's rich. Him, the primary receiver. Now, 
a lot of people think that he caused the wreck. Maybe not on purpose, but on several occasions, he would jump over and grab the steering wheel almost to maybe scare Helen or whatever. But he would grab the steering wheel and swerve the car. Oh, he wasn't taking the wheel because she was driving erratically. Uh-huh. No, I, I took it as no, no. Like, he, she's he driving would, fine. He is. He jumps across the the car seat and tries to swerve the car. I was kind of thinking because she was losing it, he would take the steering wheel. Oh no, no, no. they would. Fight. She was like swerving. They would fight, get arguments and stuff like that. And, and he would jump over, get an intentional tantrum, and try to, you know, oh yeah, I'll fucking kill us both. Yeah. And this one time, that's he what happened. Nearly did. Yeah. yeah. So, wow. But now he's fucking rich. Literally. Okay. He's a rich guy overnight. Instantly rich. Fucking nuts. Right. You have this guy with a 66 IQ, below average intelligence, very weird, tortured animals growing up, bullied kids. Shoots people with airsoft rifles. Now he's a millionaire. What could go wrong with this? What the Uh, fuck? Absolutely nothing. The other turning point in his life was 10 months after that wreck. Martin just got out of the hospital a few months ago. Maurice Bryant, the father, actually quit his job as a wharfie. Someone that works at the wharf. There you go. (laughs) And goes and helps Martin Bryant, kind of like with his recovery and everything else. And also because his son just inherited a lot of money. One reporter described it as the father and the mother, they would literally nearly die trying to take care of this kid because he was so much to handle. They would be exhausted to the point of death. And 10 months after the wreck, the father from what the report said, was found at the bottom of the lake in a suicide. He killed himself because he was just so mentally exhausted from his son. Wait, was that, sorry, did you say that was before the shooting? Yes, before the shooting. This is all the turning points. This was 1993. Now, there were several weights tied to the father. Oh. Yeah. The that doesn't coroner, sound like suicide. Yeah, the, cor- the medical examiner ultimately ruled it a suicide. But when the police came to the farm, Martin didn't show any sign of caring. And in fact, he was trying to ask all the female cops out on dates to get coffee and whatnot. They they take him over. Is this your father? He identified his dead father at the bottom of the lake after they pulled him out. And then he's going to try to ask these female cops on dates. It's very weird. Anyway, at the end of the day, they also found several sheep carcasses down there, which is... Very fucking weird. Anyway, whether he was killed by his son or he committed suicide, now he's dead. Now all the support that Martin Bryant has, as far as emotional mental support, is gone. All he's got left is a shit ton of money. So what does he do? He starts buying a shit ton of weapons. So, as I said, the turning point. After the father dies, Martin Bryant is lost in the world. He starts using that money that he has. He takes 14 trips abroad different countries but and this is very interesting he tells a psychiatrist and he also tells him that he wants to kill a lot of people psychiatrist didn't say anything but that's another story anyway he tells a psychiatrist that the only fun that he had traveling 
across the world on 14 different trips abroad was sitting in the airplane next to someone forcing conversation with him. Because hmm. if Martin Bryant, if you talk to him, he forces conversation. And, the, and it's not a good conversation. Exactly. Because he's so lonely, right? He And he's always wondering why no one wants to be his friend and everyone keeps trying to leave him. On the plane ride, if you're sitting by him, you're stuck next, you're to, stuck him. next to him for a few hours. He tells the doctor the only fun he had traveling to 14 different countries is sitting by a random really stranger sad. and forcing conversation with him. That's sad. Now, I wonder if it was fun for him because it made it awkward for the other person. No, it was fun for him because he never gets that social support. Cause okay. What I said earlier, he's so he's a really attractive guy. So you would you go up to him with expectations in your mind, but then he he's a child. The girl sitting next to him is like, ah, oh, sweet, and then he opens his mouth and she's like, yeah. oh god, never mind. Um, let let me show you real quick his police interview, just a little bit, just to show you that his mind is of a child. Every month, you shove a little piece of cotton into your vagina. What the fuck? (laughs) What the fuck? (laughs) When you practiced shooting, did you where did you hold the gun? Look at him. He looks like a child. He's smiling. Uh, I have in his hand. Oh, that's right. Sorry. This thing. Like he doesn't understand. Exactly. Exactly, Jen. You just said it correctly. Hold on. Like it's a game, like. And uh, exactly, that's the point I'm trying to make. I'm not. This is not a team, John. This is a very fucking awful crime. But Jen said it perfectly. It's like he doesn't understand. He doesn't understand at all. In fact, during this interrogation, and I'm putting the whole interrogation transcript. The video is not available. It's locked up because it's sealed permanently. From what the judge said. Anyway, the transcript is available, which I pulled off WikiLeaks. The whole time, they're asking what he did that day. He's talking about going surfing. But he's also in this he's showing... Not, exactly. Uh, showing, like, gun. Exactly. Like, how he shoots guns. So, I... But, exactly. Which is fucking weird. It, but, it's, but then they said, how did you hold the gun? Instead of explaining it, like, oh, well, I... You know, I, I aimed it like that. It was like, he was like literally like a video game motion. Like, and he was like. There you go. It there's was, a conspiracy for you. Now, the, there's. Well, I think it shows that he di- knows how to hold a gun and that he's held a gun. The, right. Yeah. He knows how to hold a gun. It, but at the same time, it was like the the way it, it was just, I don't know, the context that I got from it was like, how did you hold the gun? Okay. Well, this is how I did it. Like I'm showing you. And it was like, like, yeah, that he actually, like, I I think he was saying he committed the crime and he didn't think much of it. Right. Versus he didn't do the crime and it's a big conspiracy theory. No, no, I'm not saying that yeah. he's saying he didn't yeah. do it. I'm agreeing with you. Oh, well, he, I was just, no, expo- he, I was oh, saying oh, okay. more of to John. He does say he didn't do it. No. Well, he does it. He's saying how, like, no, how no, did- no. If you read the interview, he never, and. Ad- he never admits to killing 35 people, including sure, a, a but then child. He, but now he's also showing them how he shoots a gun. His mother quotes to a newspaper that Bryant had had enough of how people treated him, and he was tired of feeling like everyone was against him. You saw the video of that. Like, if you approach that guy and try to have a conversation, you ain't going to get very far. Around this time, he had a great idea, at least in his head. He was like, Helen Harvey's dead. My, my father's dead. I can't find any fun traveling overseas. No one likes me. No one wants to talk to me. No one wants to be my friend. 
I'm going to make a name for myself. And that means I'm going to go shoot up Port Arthur. And he planned this for about 12 weeks. All right. So anyway, back to the story. I've already told you about the macaque family that was trying to run away. And then he shot the two daughters. Okay. So now this whole thing, there's cars everywhere. You got to keep that in mind. He passes the toll booth and he ends up at a service station. Now, at the service station, he's going to take a few more victims here. For instance, he's going to block in this golden white Toyota Corolla. He's going to force the driver, which his name was Glenn Pears, out of the car at gunpoint. Now, he doesn't kill him yet. What he does is he puts Glenn Pears in the trunk of the BMW. Now, he's got a hostage. Attempting to protect his girlfriend, the driver, pleading with the government to take him and leave her alone, was bundled into the boot of the BMW. When locked in, the gunman returned to the car to shoot the girlfriend who was now in the driver's seat. And the passenger, Glenn Pear's girlfriend, Zoe Hall, she is going to be shot. Okay, he kills her point-blank range as she is reaching over to try to escape or get out of the car, whatever. She's shot. She's dead. She's the 32nd victim. Okay, real quick, I just want to give you a short bio uh, about what I found on Zoe Hall, the, the woman that was shot in the car as she was trying to escape through the driver's seat. This newspaper clipping is from the Sydney Morning Herald. This is dated May 8th, 1996. The title is, We Just Had So Much Love. And the subheadline says, Tributes Flow for a Champion of Justice. So just reading a little bit of the article, you can see that she was an aspiring lawyer. And I'm just going to kind of read through the a clip a little bit so you can kind of see that these are real people. Zoe Hall spent much of her short life studying, understanding, and championing justice. There were the five years as a student at Sydney University, followed by another five years working in the legal profession where she quickly shone as a lawyer of great promise and distinction. In a message from the Tasmanian police, Inspector Michael Grant said the name Zoe Ann Hall had been etched in police memories and would never become just a name on a list. I think that's excellent. It's an excellent uh, tribute to her. So anyway, at this point, he is just trying to increase his kill count. Literally, he drives 100 meters up the road. Now, he's got the hostage in the trunk. He gets out of his car, of the stolen BMW, and he just starts shooting at random people. A young lady was driving the vehicle behind me. So this is the uh, Tasmania Police Commissioner, Richard McCready. Leaving this area, and the offender has driven along the road, heading towards the uh, last scene that we were at, and has fired through the driver's, uh, through the passenger side front window of the vehicle and struck the uh, driver, uh, fatally wounding her. And killing some people. It's crazy. Like, people didn't even know. I mean, imagine someone's coming up, you know, you're going down to a historic site, you have no idea that anything's even happening. And all of a sudden, this guy gets out with a submachine gun, battle rifle, and shoots at you while you're in your vehicle. I mean, it's like, what the fuck? Eventually, he makes his way back to Seascape, that place where it all began when he killed the elderly couple because his father was in uh, negotiations to buy the place. That's where he ended up. It was an 18-hour standoff 
between him and the police once the police finally decided to show up. Members were shot at in the positions that we held around the stronghold continuously. Okay, so this is Special Operations Group Commander Hank Timmerman. So they sent the Special Operations Group in America. I'm pretty sure that's just like the SWAT team. So we waited until the cover of darkness. When we did start to move closer, in fact, one of our observers got to within about 75 metres of the stronghold. We were then informed via the negotiators that the um, that the uh, that Bryant could see one of our marksmen in the field. Now we weren't sure how we could see him, and so we one of our first thoughts was that he had night vision capability with his firearms. So uh, that made it a little bit more tense again. As it turns out, and we've since found out, what had occurred was uh, there's a little red transmit button on the radios that we use and the radios actually sit on the back so that the top of the radio is on the shoulder and with the marksman laying down uh, that little red light which is supposed to be covered over it was one of those things that was forgotten rookie mistake man that's super embarrassing and the little red light when there was some transmission taking place lit up and that's what we believe Brian actually saw and took a shot at he handcuffs Glenn Pears up to like the banister now you have an 18 hour standoff between him and the police. They don't know Hmm. how many hostages he has. They don't know how much ammo he has, all this stuff. They don't know what his next move is. In fact, I was listening to an interview with the negotiator at the time. He said, normally when you do a hostage negotiation, you you move forward, whether you find out their demands or whatever, you find out what they want to achieve, and you move forward. You're moving forward a direction of the end, like the end result, whatever it is. He said with the Martin case, it it was there was no end result. It, it, the conversation never moved forward. For instance, the negotiator says, Martin, he says, how how are things going in there? And then Martin Bryant says, Oh, couldn't be better. Just like on a Hawaiian holiday. Oh, hello. How it's are Terry you? again. How are you? I'm fine. How's things going in there, mate? Fine. Couldn't be better. Just like on a Hawaiian holiday. Hawaiian holiday? Yes, that's correct, sir. Oh, I'm sorry. I don't understand what you mean by that. I don't know. Myself, no. Just strange conversation, yeah. and it's possibly because of his intelligence level. It sounded like he didn't even understand the, his own words coming out of his mouth. He, at one point, told... The negotiator that he was preparing dinner for his hostages. I want to assure myself that everybody in there is okay. Are they all okay at the moment? Yeah, well, I've been giving them a cup of tea. and You, you gave them a cup of tea? Where are they at the moment? I can't tell you that. Okay. Well, okay. Are they, they're okay. I'll tell you, okay, nobody's yeah, been they're harmed. they a double bed at the present. Right. Nobody's been harmed? No one's been harmed. Okay. You say that are all three persons in the same room? Yes. Okay. And there's nobody hurt at this stage? Um, no, not at all. No. What about yourself? Are you all right? Yeah, I'm fine. Which he only had one hostage. They didn't know that at the time. And Glenn Pears, his hostage, was most likely already dead at the time mm-hmm. they were negotiating anyway. He was telling the negotiator that he was surfing in the afternoon. It's like he didn't know what where he was right then, you know, which plays into the conspiracy, too. You don't kill 35 people and then talk about surfing on well, the coast. Well, you do if you're mentally unstable. Yeah, too. that's what I'm thinking. He he may have literally been schizophrenic yeah, and he not known he literally massacred it, all those people. It sounds like he had a dissociative episode, which is a 
I, th- I think he yeah. might have yeah. yeah. It's crazy. Like, I I don't know. It's fucking nuts. I, if you read the transcript, it's like, man, I don't know. I could see why the conspiracies out there where they're like, it wasn't even him. It was another shooter. I don't know. I'm just saying. Anyway. I don't know if I believe into that hype, but yeah. He says he wanted, uh, quote, heli, and he never got it, of course. 18 hours goes by. He eventually makes his move by setting the seascape guest house on fire with him inside of it. A person has been taken to do police custody, uh, conveyed to the Royal Albert Hospital, suffering from burns, no gunshot wounds. Uh, he will, we expect, appear before the court later today or tomorrow. So we obviously can't comment on motive or anything else like that. And then we'll talk about how we'll facilitate your opportunity as media to uh, get a look at the house, which has been destroyed by fire, burnt to the ground, and then uh, to progress on to some of the other sites that will be obviously of interest to you. As you saw, the seascape was burned down. He literally busts out the front door and rolls around the front lawn. Now, in a very ironic and fucked up twist. And I think this might actually happen in other cases too. He actually goes to the same hospital, the Royal Hobart hospital as all the victims were being treated, mm. which is kind of fucking crazy. If you think about it, like the, well, it's a small town. There's the only shoot- so many exactly. places that they can go. The shooter is coming to the same hospital with all his victims. And it's weird because as a medical professional, you have to provide, you don't like, you don't necessarily know, who he is in relation to this crime quite yet. So you have to provide him the same level of medical attention that you would provide the, the, you know, victims. I mean, obviously you would triage, but well, you have to under, isn't that part of like the Hippocratic oath too? Yeah. You have like, you can't, they can't like give him half-assed treatment. Right. They know he's the killer. Yeah. During his stay in the hospital, now he was badly burned. That's why they put him in the hospital. He was making shooting motions with his hands, like mm. as you saw in the video, like bow, 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 bow. And he was verbally threatening the nurses. He was also telling the nurses, the ones with kids, he was like, you should bring your kids in here. You know, talk to Whoa. me. It's very weird. The Australian Justice Department were so worried about, and now this is fucking crazy. They had to, it was heightened security at the hospital because they were so worried that overseas family members and people, because this was national news. Right. I didn't want to give it away at first, but this was everywhere. International news. Um, international news. I mean, this was every, I mean, I, I talked to my mom yesterday about it and she's like, oh yeah, I remember that. Like, that was like the all over the TV all the time. Anyway, they were so worried that people would fly over to little Tasmania and try to settle the score. Quote, settle the score like, with Martin. Him. Yeah, with Martin Bryant. A couple of things I'm putting. I'm putting the evidence videos of the crime scene. There's there's four parts. It's actually a police training video that they used and it got leaked out on the internet. So I'm putting that on talkmer.com. So I'm putting that on there. I'm also putting the interrogation printout, five-page document of everything said in the interrogation and some pictures and other stuff. Uh, let me tell you how this thing ended right quick. Um, he's still alive. He's actually in prison right now. He's been trying to commit suicide for the last 20-something years. He's in a special cell, isolated away from every other prisoners, because remember, he's a child killer and the most hated person in Australia. I, I mean, 
the chance of him living in general population is like zero. He would get killed instantly. They actually have to prepare special food for him that has to get checked and all this stuff because they're so afraid that someone's going to try to poison him. Wow. Like the staff members, right? There was huge outrage in a lot of the newspapers I was seeing of the special protection he was getting as being the worst mass murderer in literal in history. He's getting special treatment. It yeah. is kind of ironic that you you know someone who committed all this this awful crime against your country, like your tax dollars, and you know it, a lot of spending goes into yeah. protecting yeah. him. There was no trial at first. He pled not guilty to everything, but his lawyer. And I don't want to get into all the details, but his lawyer eventually convinced him to plead guilty. The reason that is, is because to go to trial, you're basically laying this all out. Basically, you have to prove that he killed 35 people, right? And that means talking to the dead, the the husband of the dead wife and the wife of the dead husband, bringing them on the stage or bringing them on the stand, making them testify, bringing all this back out. You know what I'm saying? So the lawyer, his lawyer actually convinced him to plead guilty to everything, to avoid a trial, to avoid all the heartache, which also plays into the conspiracy theory. Right. You know, because a lot of people think that you can't prove that he was a shooter. At the end of the day, he got 35 life sentences. Good. Because they don't do death penalty there. And... He's still in prison. He's overweight. He will never get out of prison. He's bald, overweight, is very depressed, ha- hating life, all this stuff. And he he will he is eligible for parole. What? But he has thirty five life sentences. Well, he's eligible for parole in the year thirty thirty two. Oh, oh, which is like a long time. Okay. Yeah. So he's actually watched twenty four hours a day by three different cameras, and he's restricted. To any of the public knowledge about the crime, so he can't revel in how many people he killed, I guess. That's interesting. Yeah. So anyway, that's my Martin Bryant story. I hope you liked that. That's for you, Lauren, and all you blokes over there in Australia. I mean, mass shooting stories are really, really hard. Obviously, there's a lot of controversy, and it's, even though this is now over 20 years old, it's still feels so fresh Mm. um, just because we go through mass shootings so often. Um, I had a recently look at uh, on Friday before work, they were, had asked me to take a look at an active shooter trading video that our company wants to put out. Um, And so they wanted my, my feedback on it. And it's just, it's really terrible that we have to live in any sort of world where we have to look over our shoulders that way. So that it's a, hard case um, to cover. If you really enjoyed this episode, be sure to hit that subscribe button on whatever podcasting app you use. If you really like this episode, you can follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. If you're absolutely obsessed with this podcast and want to become our bloke, go to talkmore.com slash join. Become a Talkers Supremo. Get a badass t-shirt. Sticker swag, a lot of love. Shout it out all over the place. Tell me what story you want me to do. I'll research it. Dedicated to you on the Talk Murder Bean Podcast. My name is John. Here with Jen and Nicole. And until next time. Good eye, mate. Anyway, around this time he had a revelation. 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 Around this time he had a revelation. Nope. Nope. It's around either re- this- realization or revelation. Around this time he had a realization. Uh, around this time he had a great idea, at least in his head. He was like, 